following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Welcome and good morning. It is a bit of a nasty day out there. It came out of nowhere. I hope you don't get sick. This is why we're sick all the time, by the way. Um, But I do want to welcome here. I'm glad you're here. Church, here's what I want to do. I want to start our time uh, right where you are. Would you join me and let's pray for our time together. God, we are coming around your word and we know that as we just sang, we have nothing to boast in apart from you. We have nothing to stand on apart from you. And Lord, what we want to do in these next few moments is come around your word and, and ask and that you would speak. More than that, because your word tells us you will speak, but more than that, we ask that we would be given ears that we may hear, eyes that we may see, and courage that we might apply. So Lord, would you do that? Would you allow your word to confront us this morning and stir our affections for Jesus? We love you. We give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I want to welcome you again. We are in the middle of chapter 14. In all of chapter 14, we have called Prophecy, Tongues, and Order. Prophecy, Tongues, and in order. Last week, we spent the first five verses looking specifically at prophecy. Uh, this week, we're going to look ahead, we're going to continue on, and we're going to look specifically at tongues. So if you're new with us, welcome, by the way. <laughs> um, before we get there, though, I want to share a really big story with you. I want to tell you a story, and I want you to hang in here with me because our ability to grasp this story will shape the way, will shape our understanding of 1 Corinthians 14. And I want to start at the beginning, and I mean literally at the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2. In the beginning, our story begins with God creating everything out of nothing. He speaks all things into existence from nothing more than that. He calls his creation good. Included in this everything are men and women. He creates humanity and he, he says, that was good. Now, in this case, not even good. He says, that was real good. That was exceedingly good. It's my paraphrase there. That was exceedingly good. And keep in mind, this is good not just on our standards, but this is God himself looking at what he, he made and says, that is good. That's where our story begins. It was exceedingly good. It was perfect. Creation was unbroken, unmarked by sin. And it lasts until chapter 3. Chapter 3 of Genesis, we read the tragic account of what we call the fall where humanity created to bear the image of God, to bring their God glory, humanity sins against the creator. And from that moment, things were broken. Not just broken, really broken. 
exceedingly broken. There is a lot to say about how broken it is. We could talk about that for our whole time together. Um, the way that sin spread, the way that it began to fracture humanity. But for our time this morning, I want to highlight just one of the ways that sin spread and fractured humanity. Several chapters after the fall in Genesis chapter 3, we read this powerful little story in Genesis 11. A story, um, I, want to, I want to invite you to turn with me here. Genesis 11, Genesis 11, because I, I want to share this is a pivotal part of our story. Genesis 11 verse 1 says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. It was a one world language, one tribe, one people. Then in verse 2, And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, bitumen for mortar. Now, there's nothing wrong with a construction project. Nothing wrong with that. What could possibly go wrong, right? Verse 4, here's what went wrong. Then they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top into the heavens. I mean, that's lofty, but here's what's wrong with this. And let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. There it is, in full brokenness. See, remember, humanity was created in the image of God to bear him, his image, to make much of him, to make much of the creator as his image bears. And here, the chief concern of this construction project was to make a name for ourselves. Side note here, this can just remind us that unity is not our grand goal. Unity, that we are united together, world peace, that's great, but that's not our main goal. If that was the grand goal, then Babel nailed it. If unity was it, Babel, Babel had it. But Paul is driving this church in 1 Corinthians, as we've been seeing, not just to unity, but unity in Christ. That we unite not around making a name for ourselves and we get a good picture that God is not, our God is not in that construction project. Verse 5. I love this. There is humor. You have to read this with humor. And the Lord, what? Came down to see the city and the tower. So they wanted to build a building that literally went up to heaven, right? And here God is like, what's going on? He had to come down to see what had been built. He had to come down to see it. So the Lord came down and he saw it and he saw what the children of men had built. Verse six, the Lord said, behold, they are one people. They have one language. This is only the beginning of what they will do and nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. So here's what happened. Verse seven, come let us go down there and and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off their building of the city. Construction project just left there uncompleted. Verse 9, therefore, the name of it's called Babel, because the Lord confused the languages of the earth here in this moment and dispersed them. 
For the first time in human history, I want you to follow me here. For the first time in human history, language was now a barrier to unity. For the first time in all of history, language was now a barrier to humanity's unity. The barrier was a result of sin, and the barrier was real. It divided people. And the big aspect of this was the simple confusion in language. Language was now a barrier to unity. Fast forward with me. Continue on in our story. You don't have to go far. A few pages over. Um, humanity, nations, peoples were in fact divided, but God had a plan. And we get a glimpse of that plan in the next chapter, Genesis 12. Genesis 12, um, there's no coincidence, by the way, that this follows right after Babel. Genesis 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, from your kindred, from your father's house to the land I'm going to show you. I will make you great in the nation, bless you, make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. Verse 3, this is key. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So because of sin and Babel, they're dispersed and confused. And then here we get a glimpse of God's promise to say, no, 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 I will bless them all. Every tribe, every, nun, every tongue through you, Abram. He is promising here that all will be blessed. This is good news, church. You're a part of that all, by the way. Let's fast forward now. Let's leap ahead to Acts 1. Jesus had just come. He lived a perfect and obedient life. He did what the first man in, in Genesis 3 could not do. He had just been arrested. He had just been mocked, beaten, crucified. He breathed his last. He had just given his life for the forgiveness of sins. This has just happened. More than that, he just rose. Let me say that again. He just rose rose from the dead, literally appearing to hundreds after his resurrection. And right before Jesus ascends into heaven, he commands his followers to go and make disciples of all nations. Go, make disciples, promising to be with us forever, even to the ends of the earth. Then in Acts 1, Jesus says in verse 8, you are going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You hear that? What happened at Babel, people were spread, divided. Remember now language was now a barrier to unity. Jesus is saying, now it's time to go get them. Now it's time to go. And oh, when you do, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. He's going to empower you as you go out. The barrier is real, but I have a plan and I'm bigger. We don't have to wait long to see fulfillment of this happen. Turn one page over to Acts 2. The, in Acts 2, the day of Pentecost has arrived. And they were all together in one place. In other words, they hadn't gone yet. They hadn't gone to, this, to the ends of the earth place yet. They're all in one place. 
Verse two, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues of fire appeared on them, rested on each of them. In verse four, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, which is what Jesus promised them was going to happen and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What? What? All of a sudden, these Jewish followers of Jesus gathered together, worshiping Jesus together. All gathered together. All of a sudden, God's Spirit comes on them and doing exactly what Jesus warned them was going to happen, which was the Spirit was going to empower them. And here it happens. They begin to worship and praise God in other tongues, in other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. How incredible is that? But really, it shouldn't be all that surprising. Here's what I mean by this. If God could miraculously confuse their language in Genesis 11, it's only fitting that he would be able, have the ability to bring them back in Acts chapter 2. Verse 5. Now they, there were, they were dwelling or in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. I mean, imagine church, Amaric, Russian, Spanish, Mandarin, Portuguese, French, English, all just... That is awesome. You hear it coming. Multitudes gathering to see what on earth is going on. The awesome news here is the confusion and curse of Babel was not about to stop the gospel from going out. God had a plan. Verse 7, they were amazed and astonished as you would be. Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? They're not Portuguese, French, they shouldn't be doing this. But each of them are talking in our native language. Then they list off all of these people from all different places, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, everyone coming around. And, and we, all, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Babel's not going to stop that message from getting out. All were amazed, perplexed, saying to one another, what does that mean? What does this mean? Others mocked and said they're filled with new wine. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted his voice, addressing them, men, of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. I love Peter's logic here. It's like, it's 9 a.m. This isn't wine. This is, <laughs> I love his logic. I love his logic. It's 9 a.m., not wine. This is God. And by the way, can I just call out the obvious? Typically a the ability to speak fluent Portuguese is not a side effect of drunkenness. Like, I, I've never understood that. Anyway, I sidetrack. 
Peter then goes on and, and he preaches the gospel. And the gospel went out in such a powerful way that the text says that 3,000 people came to faith in Christ. So I want to say it again. Babel is no barrier to God's mission. Language was not going to be the thing that hinders God's mission. No. One more fast forward and then we'll finish our story and we'll jump into our text. Fast forward with me now to Revelation 7. We started at the beginning in that perfect garden in creation. Now let's finish at the end of our grand story. Revelation 7 verse 9 is, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. I want you to just hear this. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples, don't miss it, and languages. Standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Here it is, church. What was broken in the garden is restored. What was divided at Babel is now unified. What was promised in Abraham was now fulfilled. Christ has come. Not only that, Christ has come and called us to go. And not only that, Christ has come, called us to go, and empowered us by his spirit until the day he returns. That's awesome. Technical word for that is awesome. Here's, where, here's what we have in the Bible. We have perfection in the garden in the beginning. Confusion at Babel. Promise in Abraham, fulfillment in Christ, empowering of the Spirit, and then perfection at the throne in the end. So after hearing that big picture, had to go quickly through that big picture, our grand story, where are we in this story? Where do we find ourselves in this story? Where is the Corinthian church in this narrative? Church, we find ourselves right with the Corinthian church. In this time after Jesus' work on the cross, in this time that the Spirit is empowering his church. And like the Corinthians, we're looking ahead to that moment, that revelation throne room moment, when we'll see it all come to completion. Listen, I started here because it's crucial. I want to say this one more time before we step into our text, and hopefully you'll see why we started here. Language had become a barrier to unity at Babel. But through the Spirit, language is no longer a barrier to gospel unity. That's a beautiful truth. It drives us now to gospel unity. So having said that, church, I know I've had you turning everywhere. Land with me now in 1 Corinthians 14. Let's dig into this little by little. Let me start with where we were last week and read this uh, verse one, pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up his, himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want all of you 
I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that, I don't want you to miss this last phrase. I'm gonna annoy you this morning because I'm gonna say this last phrase so much. So that the church may be built up. So that the church may be built up. Now, um, last week, if you missed last week, I want to encourage you to go back and, and take a listen. We spent a lot of time with this passage. Um, but one of the things that became so clear is that God has not given us a neat and tidy set of definitions and categories when it comes to spiritual gifts. Nowhere in the New Testament does, does the New Testament tell us, by the way, church, this is how prophecy is defined. Here's how you use it. It doesn't have that. We, we don't have that. And as we talked about last week, that simple fact is intentional because our God doesn't make mistakes. And he's given us the exact amount that we need to know in order to bring him glory, love him, trust in his salvation, and live our lives for his glory. He's given us everything we need. He didn't make, he's not up there saying, oh, I wish I would have told them more. That's not the picture we get. Our God is perfect and he's given us all that we need. So as a result, we need to fight our temptations and our tendencies to give more definitions and categories than what we see in scripture. So having said that, I would like to give us kind of a working definition. We're talking about tongues. I want to give us a working definition of tongues. From what we do see in the New Testament, when we look at tongues and how it works out in the church. This definition, I will admit, is not unique to me, but tongues are a form of prayer and praise that you offer to God in a language you do not understand. I told you, that is about as baseline as it gets. Tongue is a form of prayer and praise that you offer to God in a language that you do not understand. We see this all throughout Acts and the New Testament church. Now, again, uh, we talked about this last week that although we don't have these full and robust definitions of things like tongues and prophecy, we do have lots and lots of very clear boundaries and parameters. And we called it last week our seatbelts. So although we might not have robust definitions, we do have seatbelts. And Paul is going to give us so many of these seatbelts in our text. And the first one we get that's already been clearly laid out for us is in verse 5. As I said, I'm going to annoy you with this. So that the church may be built up. Uh, built up. That's your, there's a seatbelt. I want to just say this. Throughout our time together, the purpose of all spiritual gifts is to glorify God and to edify the church. The purpose of all spiritual gifts is to glorify God and to edify the church. It is for his glory and their good, for his glory and for the common good. So Paul begins with this clear seatbelt, this clear statement, so that the church may be built then he continues, verse 6, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you? Notice here, how will I benefit you? How will I, benefit, how will I build you up? How will this be for the common good? Paul says, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? 
Now, he's going to shift into some really helpful examples that I want us to spend some time looking at. Really helpful examples. Verse 7, if even lifeless instruments such as a flute or a harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? Listen to this, verse nine. So with yourselves, if your tongue, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what has been said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many languages in the world and none of them is without meaning. Verse 11, but if I do not know the meaning of the language, how will, or I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So let me just state some obvious things from these examples. A flute or a harp is only useful when it plays distinct notes. A bugle only alerts for battle when it gives a distinct sound. And words are only useful for edification when they have meaning. This is what Paul is driving to. Harps and flutes, useless when those notes aren't distinct. Bugle, useless when it doesn't give a distinct sound. Your words, useless for building up the church if they don't have distinction and meaning. So let me say it again because it's crucial to Paul's argument here. Words are only useful for edification when they have meaning. Tongues are a gift, a tool to bring the gospel through babble barriers to glorify God and to edify the church. So, so listen to this. This church is the pivotal verse of this entire chapter. Verse 12. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Since you're eager to, to see God do miraculous things in you, since you're eager for God to move and to see gifts in your life, since you're eager and you desire these gifts, Paul says, strive to excel in building up the church. If that's not a boundary for our spiritual gifts, I don't know what is. Strive in the building up of the church. Paul is saying, again, you can desire all these gifts, but the purpose of every gift, every gift, is to bring glory to God and to edify the church, period. So Paul says, strive in the building up of the church. So just pause button. Are you striving for that? Are you striving to be really good at building up the church? I'm sure there are people in this room who want to be spiritual giants in the faith, who want God to work in us, who want God to move in us, who want God to speak to us, who want God to give us these gifts, to do great things for God. And if you're one of those people, I want you to hear Paul's words, strive to excel at building up the church. It's really simple. Now, Paul's going to continue to lay out for us again some boundaries. And I want you to remember, we sometimes can rush past this. The Corinthian church was a real church in real time, in real history, and they had some real issues. Uh, some specific 
and very real problems. See, one of the problems that they were experiencing is there was an abuse of tongues in their gatherings. So they would come together, and as we see, it was chaos, and it was doing more damage in the church. And so Paul is offering correction here in verse 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also otherwise. If you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen? (laughs) They don't know what you're saying. To your thanksgiving, when he does not know what you are saying. Verse 17, for you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being, again, on repeat, not being built up. So here's the boundaries. Remember, Paul's earlier examples of the flute, the, the, um, the harp, the bugle, these instruments are useful when their sounds are intelligible, when they are distinct. And Paul reminds them, your tongue, your mouth, it is useful when it speaks in a way that is intelligible and distinct. I want to remind us of Jesus' words in Matthew 6. Matthew 6, Jesus is asked straightforward, how should we pray? And, and Jesus says this, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. When you pray, Jesus says, do not heap up empty phrases. So if we were to bring this in Paul's language, when you pray, don't grab the harp and play notes that aren't distinct. Don't grab the bugle and blow on it and have no distinction for the notes. Don't heap up empty phrases. Don't do that. Instead, Jesus says, don't be like them. For the Father knows what you need before you ask him. And then he gives us this example prayer. And he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. As we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I want you to notice something with me, church. In this prayer, the example prayer, our words are important. Our words have meaning. They, sh- they say something. They should say something. Language is a tool like a harp or a, a flute. But language needs meaning and distinction to be useful. So here in our text, Paul just keeps driving us back again and again to the purpose of our spiritual gifts, as you've seen throughout, to glorify God and to build each other up, to edify the church. Now, if you were just reading this for the first time, you would get to this point and think, why is Paul ripping so hard on tongues? Why is he coming so hard? I mean, wow. And on one hand, you'd be right. On one hand, you would be right, because again, this was the gift that was being abused. This was the gift that had come off the rails in this church, and so Paul is speaking heavily against this gift. But on the other hand, you would be wrong, because listen to Paul's words in verse 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. See, Paul is not throwing this gift out. Instead, Paul is bringing this gift back into its parameters. Bringing this gift back into its seat and then firmly fastening that seatbelt. 
That's what Paul is doing. Paul's not ripping on tongues, but he is ripping on the abuse of tongues in this church. He says, verse 19, nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to, what, instruct others. Again, there's the building up, then 10,000 words in a tongue. Again, it's to glorify God, edify the church, instructing others. I want us to get all the way to verse 25. It's a lot of text, but I want us to get to verse 25. And, oh, church, I love this next portion. Listen to this, verse 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. That's not a bad life motto, church. Be babies, naive, unaware, inexperienced in the evil around you, but be mature men and women in your thinking. Be babies in evil. Be mature in your faith. Love that. Then verse 21. Let's unpack this one together. Verse 21. In the law it is written by strange or by people of strange tongues and by lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are not are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but believers. To understand this, I want us to ask and answer two things. It says tongues are a sign. Are they a, who are they a sign for? And, and what kind of sign is this? In order to answer that, we need to understand this is a direct quote from Isaiah. In Isaiah 28, 11 through 12, in this context, Isaiah is speaking directly to Jewish people who had become hard-hearted to God's word. He's saying, look, the promise, the gospel that came to you through Abraham, although you are rejecting it, you're still a light to the nations. Isaiah says, people with foreign tongues will hear the message of God, and unfortunately, even in that, you're going to reject it. In this context, tongues were a sign to hard-hearted Jews that the promise was not exclusively for them. But again, as was promised to Abraham, was for the nations. Now, let's come full circle. Since Babel and Abraham, think about this, Yahweh God was only worshipped in one language. God was only worshipped in one language. That language was Hebrew. That's the language God's word came in. That's the language of God's people. That's the language of the worship that happened in the temple. It was one language. And then what happened in Acts 2 that we already read? It was this huge moment in breaking apart the barriers of Babel. Because now the gospel is going out to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Including us in San Antonio, Texas going out to the ends of the earth. And language was not going to be a barrier in doing that. For the first time in history, the gospel was going out in a language that wasn't Hebrew. But it was coming out in the, in the common tongue of the people. This is all leading us, of course, to that Revelation 7 moment around his throne when we will gather together to worship Jesus and the language barrier of Babel is no more. Church, we are on the road from Babel to Revelation. Right now, we're on this windy road from Babel to Revelation. 
and tongues are this sign and tool for the new frontier of the gospel going out into from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. Tongues are the power to accomplish Acts 1.8. And this is why Paul brings us to verse 23. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? Answer, yes, they will say that. Keep in mind, this is not a hypothetical statement. This was actually happening in the Corinthian church. The, things were coming off the rails. And people were coming in and going, things are coming off the rails. Here, here's what I want you to see. The abuse of the gift of tongues in this church was not edifying the church or building it up, not glorifying God. In fact, it was harming the witness for the gospel. Did you catch it? Hear, hear, hear me. Tongues were given to extend the witness of the gospel. And here in its abuse, it was doing the exact opposite. Tongues were given to extend the witness of the gospel. And here, their abuse was hindering the witness of the gospel. How often do we take what is good and we use it, we work it against its purpose. Give you a few examples of this. Let's think of food. Good food is meant to point us in worship to our good God who created good food and gave us the ability to enjoy it. Yet we turn it and it becomes gluttony. Think of sex given to us for intimacy and we rip it out of its context and we use it in a way that destroys intimacy. I think of money given to us to be used as good stewards to, to further the kingdom. And yet Jesus is very clear. The love of that stuff is the root of all evil. You take it from what was intended to be good and you use it for evil. Here is what we see here taking place with even the spiritual gifts. Taking what is good, meant to extend the witness of the gospel and using it to hinder the witness of the gospel, using it against its very purpose. Paul here drives the point home again. It's almost like he knows that sometimes we're slow to pick up on things. He drives it home in verse 24, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider walks in, he is convicted by all. He is called into account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Again, the purpose of our spiritual gifts is to glorify God and to edify the church. So Paul ends this by, by bringing us back to our end goal, that we would all fall on our face together before the Lord, declare his glory, and that others would see that, just like they did in Acts 2 at Pentecost, and say, yeah, God is really among them. Glorify God, edify the church. That is it. That is our purpose. Listen, as we get to tongues, as we are talking about tongues, I know that there are often many, many questions that surround this gift and surround texts like this. And we could wrestle with them in depth. 
And although I do have my viewpoint on what I believe scripture has to say about this, um, although I have my viewpoint on some of the specifics that, um, that I see, uh, we don't honestly have time to address them all here this morning. But I say this to say, I have some very dear friends that I love and respect and who are way smarter than me, who see things a bit differently in scripture. We're in a room, a diverse room with diverse backgrounds, and I guarantee there are people in this room who see some of the specifics differently than you do coming from scripture. Now, um, I understand that. Honestly, those people that I have in my mind that I love and I respect, I do honestly think they're wrong. I don't know if that's illegal to say. I do think they're wrong. And let's be very honest, they think I'm wrong. It's iron sharpening iron for his glory. But listen, in spite of all these things, this is why I want to bring this up. Let us not stop putting first things first. Let us never forget the parameters and boundaries that God has given us in his word. We must continue to fight to correct abuses in the church when it comes to these gifts. Just as this church in Corinth was doing, we must continue to put first things first. Paul calls us, let's be honest, Paul calls you to desire spiritual gifts. Paul says, desire them, ask for them. Desire them, that we may bless God, the giver of the gift, and that we may be a blessing to the church. But as we, in our desire for these things, this is why I said verse 12 is the pivotal verse. Listen to this again. So with yourself, since you're eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, since that's where your heart, since you want to be used like that, strive to excel in the building up of the church. So as we close here together in our time this morning, as we close on part two and we shift into part three next week, are you striving to build up the church? I want to be, I want to be really clear. If you consider yourself to be a part of this church, our church family, are you striving to build up this church? Are you desiring more spiritual gifts so that you are better able to glorify God and that you're better able to edify the church? Whether that be prophecy, tongues, teaching, um, mercy, hospitality, leading, shepherding, faith, evangelism, administration, exhortation, giving, serving. Probably missed one, doesn't matter. Because whatever it might be, whatever it might be, in whatever gift, they are given to you, church, for a purpose. And that purpose is to glorify God, the giver of that gift, and to edify his church. So how are you putting your gifts to use here for that purpose? And I just want to remind us, we are on the road from Genesis to the throne of Christ in Revelation. And here in this time, here in this time, you have been called to be used by God and to bring Glory to him together and to build each other up until that day when we are gathered around his throne, worshiping in every tribe, tongue, and nation, calling him Lord, seeing him face to face. Church, let me pray for us.
Lord, we are humbled. As we see how we fit into this grand and beautiful story, your story. I'm reminded of that scene in Revelation 7 that we read. When all of your people come around your throne, all of us come around your throne, unified in our message saying, God, you are good. God, you are the only God. Christ, you have conquered it all. Worthy. Worthy, worthy. As I'm reminded of this scene when all of us collectively are calling out to you and giving you the glory that you deserve. Yeah, we know that that is our future. But we pray in this moment that you bring your kingdom down here now. And that we get a little glimpse of what eternity is going to be like. And so here as we close our time together, I pray that you are honored as your people proclaim your glory together. God, would you give us the ability to use what you have given us to make much of you and to build each other up until that day when we see you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen.